listening to Talking Law, the podcast where business owners just like you discover how to avoid legal landmines and build value using smart legal tips. Join your host, Joanna Oki, as she cuts through the legal jargon and gives you clear and simple actionable legal strategies, which will get you optimal business results. Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to Talking Law, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we have on the show Josh Taylor of Taylor Insolvency, talking all about what to do when things go bad in your business, how to identify issues that might lead to questions about solvency of the business and what to do about it when that happens. We cover some really interesting topics in today's discussion. So buckle in, here we go with our discussion with Josh. Josh, thank you so much for joining us today on Talking Law. It's great to have you on the show. Well, thank you for having me. It's exciting to be here. <laughs> fabulous, fabulous. Okay, now look, I really wanted to drill into this concept of when things go bad for an organization. And I love stories. So I just I thought it'd be great if we had you on the podcast talking about what it looks like when things go bad and then maybe even some tips and tricks for our listeners as to the things that they can do, I, I guess, to help ward off issues or identify them early enough. Um, so maybe kicking into it, I guess, what, why are we talking about this topic, Josh? I mean, obviously, you see day in, day out the, the sad stories of where things have been gone wrong in a business and that have ended up exploding. Um, and, and so you've obviously seen a lot of themes that come up again and again and again in, um, in, in that sort of story. Yeah, so the, the main themes in terms of uh, for micro businesses, small businesses in the personal space are relationship breakdowns. Mm. Uh, divorce is a, can often lead down the path of uh, financial instability. Mm. Uh, gambling, uh, lifestyle issues, and just, and just slowdowns in businesses, which can't be matched by a slowdown in lifestyle. Mm. Uh, so they're they're the four main ones, and then the the people you see who are owed money at the end of that is you always see lots of ATO debt. You see lease debts on leases with uh, personal guarantees and mm. all that sort of stuff. You see debts to the major four banks for personal loans, credit cards, and other other lenders, where oftentimes people are, keep getting more loans to pay off old loans, and they just end up in a bit of a circle of debt. Yeah. And, and, and sorry, just to stop you for a second, you, you sort of talked about micro and super small business, but many of our listeners and our clients are sort of around that mid-size um, SME as well, mid and, and quite often large SMEs. And, and presumably, well, I guess you tell us, do you, do you see more of the micro than the, you know, mid to large SMEs in, in financial difficulty or are, are the mid to large, uh, you know, SMEs still as exposed but just in different ways definitely so the more successful you are probably the more exposed you are because yeah the exposure to financial difficulty comes from people who have money's going out at a higher rate than money's coming yeah in. and yeah. oftentimes on the micro scale or in smaller scale people are pretty disciplined with their budgeting to take it to the extreme end people 
who are on some sort of welfare system, they know exactly how much they're getting each week and they pretty much spend the same amount each week. So it's you don't fall into as much difficulty there as what you'd expect. It's when you are running a smaller business, you might have a turnover of one, two, five, ten million dollars, and that turnover goes down. And so those reasons are still the same reasons. Uh, the, the first major one again in small business is it's usually driven by someone. It might be driven by Joanna Oki, it might be driven by Josh Taylor, it might be driven by Bob Smith. But if that Bob Smith, Josh Taylor, Joanna Oki has a relationship breakdown, they don't have their mind on the game. And all of the things that drive business through, both getting business, working on the working on the business and getting the customer satisfied out the door starts falling to pieces because our mind's elsewhere. And I, I totally agree. And, and the other thing that we see is uh, where, we, you know, we're talking here about the relationships of the individuals outside of the business. We quite often see relationships of individuals within the business. So say, for example, business partnerships, uh, you, you know, where, where there's a breakdown within the business that can really have an impact on performance. But the other thing um, that I see see that that um, I often find trumps everything else is fast growth. I feel that fast growth is actually one of the most vulnerable periods for businesses that we see because quite often there's this um, mismatch in the understanding between uh, revenue, profit and cash flow because it's that cash flow that as they're growing really quickly can be really, um, really caught up and can cause massive problems is that something that you also see as an issue yeah so definitely if if people don't have strong advisors behind them mm. uh and or people are afraid to reach out that does happen uh usually though with strong growth you're in a better position than people who are going the other way yeah so take for example you're better off being the uber than the taxi driver yeah. So the taxi driver who's just had his market reduced 70%, better off being the guy who's taken 70% of that market. So it's just a matter of perspective, but certainly there are traps with people where they think, okay, I've just signed my first $5 million contract. I'm going to go spend $5 million today. And then they yeah. spend that money and then they've got to keep recurring. They don't have other contracts. And then they're just in a world of pain. Exactly. And particularly where that contract that's worth $5 because that, that's such a good example because it can sometimes be these really large contracts, that contract where, you, you know, there might be $5 million at the the actual the turnover of that cash is very slow. Say, for example, the client stops paying or is very, very slow in paying and you've had to pay out you know, a lot of your expenses along the way. So I guess there can be these cash crunches from what looks to be like a great event. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you've not got your eye, if you're not used to growth. So maybe let's reflect on um, some of those stories that are most memorable for you, Josh, for where things have gone bad. What, what are some of those um, examples that you've got that really stick out clearly in your mind? Okay, so since uh, cash and growth is the is the number one to talking topic of where we're going, I recently had a client who was in the IT space uh, doing contracts for other larger larger companies, which everybody would know uh, in the in the software 
uh, marketing internet type space without mm. giving away any names. <laughs> and, that, and they had very large contracts and they were going really fast. Mm. The, the problem they had is, is a fundamental misunderstanding of both how you pay your employees. When you pay your employees, you've yeah. got to pay gross wages, not just what cash goes out every week or every fortnight. Mm. And a misunderstanding of the value of yourself and what it is your customers are, are purchasing. So this individual, he, he got started getting some good contracts and he was good at what he did. So he kept getting more contracts and he decided, oh, I'm going to work on the business he, he, instead of in the business, mm. um, which, is, which is always good. I'm a fan of working on the business, in the business, around the business and everywhere to do with the business. But he put together a board for himself and put together a bunch of very high paying positions, which he did some basic maths, which I can only be described on as on the net figures, and then soon found himself in trouble. Yeah. Because if you go and put yourself together a board where it's costing you a million, two million dollars just for people to eventually essentially do what you were doing by yourself yesterday, mm. that's going to put any pressure on any medium-sized company. Yeah. And, and then he's just treading water and he's effectively using the ATO as a bank. So he's not mm. paying his he's not paying his PayYG, he's not paying his GST, he's not paying his super. He comes to he, his accountant tells him to go go see Josh. So he comes to see myself, and we work through the issues and the potential solution for that company. And without putting exact numbers, by the time he comes and sees us, he's he owes the ATO well over half a million dollars, six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollars in PayYG GST, and he owes his employees maybe 70, 80 grand, mm. according to the books and records of his company in Super. He says, "Look, I've got to decide two hundred grand to settle this. Can we do it with two hundred grand?" Mm. We say, "Yes, if you got two hundred grand, uh, and the company can afford to pay us the administrators' costs on the way through." We think we can get the ATL across the line. They'll agree to take 200 grand. Now, keep in mind that those sorts of deals are only generally available in an administration type process. You're not going to be able to get your accountant to talk to the ATL and get them to take off hard actual debt. Mm. Your accountant, generally speaking, uh, will be able to get rid of uh, penalties, interest, all of that sort of stuff. But if you've lodged BASs, which say you've got tax that you've got to pay and hold on behalf of your employees, the ATO is not going to forget about that in the ordinary course of business. But through the voluntary administration process, they're going to take a more high-level view as to what's better for the country, what's better for this company, what's better for those employees, and they'll have a look at it. Mm. Okay. So we go all guns are blazing. The administrators, myself, appointed. And we continue to trade the company on as we put a, together a report for the ATO to essentially take this money. During this time, we go through the employee super and they're owed a lot more than that original sort of 50 to 70 grand that we are that we thought was owed. And by the time we issue our report to the ATO, it's it's already up closer to 100 grand. For the, for the employees, in, for the relation employees the in relation to the super. Keeping in mind that the employees and employee entitlements 
when they're owed money, they get paid before the general body of the creditors, which includes the ATO for GST and PAYG. So we issued the report. We're still on board. We still think it's better for the ATO to accept this $200,000, of which $100,000 would be to pay off super, $100,000 would be going to them. So they're only getting, I think that's about 15 cents in the dollar at this particular point in time. Mm. Okay, but you take it away and you've lost 20, 25 really good jobs. Those 20, 25 jobs are supporting 20, 25 mm. families. You're losing the taxes from that. You're losing the, the mental ability and know-how. These people, they're, they're not, well, besides COVID, they're not stuck in Australia in terms of their skills. They, they've mm. got skills that they can go work in San Francisco. They can go pay taxes and contribute to many different societies. So we're still very positive on this, but we're not sure how much is owed to super because it's just going up and up and up. Now, the process is once we issue a report to the ATO saying this is the deal, a week later a meeting is held between at my office between myself, the director, and all the creditors to decide whether they'll accept this deal or whether the company needs to go under. During that week, we keep chipping away at the, the outstanding super Working, working through more documents, speaking to more employees, finding out what we can find, speaking to more people in the ATO super team, which is different to their, effectively, their liquidation administration deals team, so to speak. Mm. And by the time the meeting is held, the amount of super that's owed is now a quarter of a million dollars. So we now are offering the ATO, we're now offering the ATO less money than what's owed in super. So they're going to get nothing. Their, their right. debt, seven, eight hundred thousand dollars, completely wiped. The right. super, even the employees, they're going to be ripped off fifty grand. The employees, we have a meeting with the employees beforehand to tell them this. Employees want to go because keep in mind, although fifty grand sounds like a lot when you diluted amongst that many employees, you keep in mind this is their job. Company yep. goes under. Um, they've got to go find a new job and go through that process. It's and so the importance is you, you had to essentially get all of these people to agree that it's better for the company to, to stay alive and to continue trading on, on the basis that you've come to this deal in relation to a reduced payout to each of, you know, to the ATO and to each of the employees. Um, and, and so this is part of your um, your work in trying to keep the, the doors open so that the, the business post this can trade on. Correct. Because uh, for businesses such as this one, they, they do have a bright future. They're just, they've just been compromised by mistakes of the past. And yeah. if you can package that compromise together in a financial arrangement, which meets with the Corporations Act and meets with what everybody's willing to accept, then there's no reason to keep going. Obviously, it'd be better if everybody paid everything all the time. Sure. They owed, but, but you're saying in this instance they couldn't. So so, the, so, sort of the decision is close the doors, employees lose their job, um, the funds are liquidated, um, the assets in the business are liquidated and everyone takes what they can or we come to this compromise and allow the business to keep trading and hopefully... Um, after that, you, you know, be on a positive footing and then from there on forth be able to pay their taxes and their employees along the way. And so what happened here in this instance? Did everyone end up agreeing? And so in this instance, the short answer is everybody did end up agreeing. 
The reason they do end up agreeing or they ended up in green in this one is the creditors and the ATO looks at a few things. One, what they'll get in the liquidation. If the doors are shut, what happens then? Mm. Okay. And that's the only, this is the only sort of formal process or time that happens. Oftentimes people will threaten, if you don't take this deal, I'll put it into liquidation. That's usually people don't respond too well to that type of negotiation. Mm. This isn't done in a threatening way. This is just done in a formal process. You've got two doors to open either this one or that one because it is the creditor's choice. It's their choice. So if you open this one, it'll go in this direction. And the second one is, is, is we point out, and that's at least part of what I see is our role, the intangible factors to the ATO because the ATO, unlike other institutional creditors, will say care about the return to the ATO. They have a big, big care factor on what the right thing to do by the Australian people, the country is. And so they won't just take into account the cents in the dollar return. Uh, whereas certain institutions, they might require 10 cents, 20 cents, all the way up to 70, 80, 90 to full repayment of the debt before they'll agree to anything. Yeah. The ATO takes a more sort of holistic everything approach to the decisions they made. So the end game result of that is this guy, instead of living day to day, week to week with a company burdened by getting close to a million dollars worth of debt and superannuation, which whether he knew it or didn't knew it was a quarter of a million dollars, the $200,000 he's paid his employees as super, one would like to hope that, you know, it, it all works out moving forward. And he's also just completely wiped out ATO debt. Now, I wouldn't suggest that sort of circumstance to no. any listeners as you're moving forward because you need a better, you need a better offer generally. It's just, it happened naturally like that, and so you so you can get to the result sometimes, but that result was obviously much better than what we anticipated at the start. Yeah, and and of course the the risk for the director had he have not pulled the cord and gone and um, sought proper advice at the time he did was an exposure to personal liability as well, surely. So yeah, so personal liability in these sorts of situations are twofold when you get a DPN issued against you. Now, most rational people will go and see the... That's, that's a director penalty notice for DPN, for those uh, listeners who don't know the, the acronym DPN. Sorry, keep going, Josh. Yeah, so when someone gets a notice like that, you should definitely call your accountant or your solicitor. Joanne is, I'm sure you're happy to walk people <laughs> through the process when that happens. And the other way is if you don't lodge your tax returns on, uh, within three months of their due date. So if your BASs are outside three months of the due date, you can get locked down to personal liability uh, without even a DPN. So even if you can't pay your BASs, make sure you lodge them. The ATO brought that in because they're sick of people not lodging or, or using that as an excuse. What people would often do was they'd come in and see an accountant with five years of lodgements not done because they're behind and they didn't want to do them and get a DPN against their name, a director's penalty notice, so their accountant would send them on to the liquidator and the liquidator would liquidate the company and the director in all likelihood might have avoided personal liability because the ATO never got the checks. Whereas this way, they've got a way of automatically getting you. So always keep in touch with your accounts and your lawyers. And, and look, most accounts these days, they, they offer sort of fixed price and, and sort of monthly service arrangements, which I'd encourage people to 
to, to use. And I say that I'm not a general practice accountant, but mm. I don't I don't like even me with the I have a general practice accountant. I don't like the arrangements where you're concerned to speak with someone because of the cost because and of the cost. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas like the good lawyers out there, Joanne has always take your call without charging you to have a, have a, have <laughs> I a love chat it, Josh. <laughs> before before you. but accountants, people are a bit more nervous about accountants a bit more rule based. And so you can so you can make sure you get yourself into a good arrangement there. I think the other thing, though, to to mention and be super clear about is is the risk also for directors in um, insolvent trading. The risk, so there's a couple of risks. The first risk that everybody talks about is insolvent trading, and that's because it's probably the easiest case for a liquidator to make against a director, so it's the largest risk. There's also other risks like director's duties, um, sort of, and where you might see that is is where you see people sort of rip stuff out of companies and 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 enter into transactions that a director shouldn't be entering into. There's also specific sections of the Corporations Act that that attack those transactions as well. So if they're it's it's not just a general thing. If it's, you can specifically show something in particular and personal guarantees. So yeah. when people have signed personal guarantees, be aware of that. Um, if your company goes into liquidation, in all likelihood, the creditor who has a personal guarantee is going to go after you personally. And that links in with director penalty notices and ATO lockdown DPN. So if you owe the ATO a million dollars, you're much better off owing the ATO a million dollars, which they can't get to you personally. Okay. Uh, because then it can just go with the company, uh, pending that you don't have any insolvent trading type risk. Solvent trading, to spend a bit more time on that, it's where you've kept incurring debts where a reasonable person knew that you were insolvent, okay? So if you if you keep incurring debts at a time when you're insolvent, now there's there'll be a lot of argument about when and when you were not insolvent. And there's a few defences nowadays. There was the coronavirus defence for last year, which kept you out of insolvent trading. Basically, if you were going down because of the coronavirus, you weren't going to get done. Um, there's now the safe harbour defence. So if you spoke to uh, a, a, a solicitor who was strong in this, again, like give Joanna a call and she walks you through, okay, let's get a strategy to try and turn this around. Then you can invoke what's called the safe harbour type defence. So where... You say to the court, look, I took steps to try and make things better. Me trading wasn't making it worse. I was trying to make it better. It's just that the business had gone that bad or the market was that bad that it kept going negative. And here we are. And so I think, you know, like the takeaway of all of this is, you know, if your organisation is suffering really, uh, you know, difficulties in you being able to pay debts when they fall due. That That's really the test. If you're suffering a cash crunch, you really need to seek as early um, and, you, you know, get serious about it because there are a number of things that can be established along the way where you've had the right advice along the way. But organisations, you know, I, I just always have this memory of when I was a junior solicitor, we had a client come into the firm that I was um, uh, that I was practising at at the time and he just had this horrific story of this really fast-growth 
business. He'd done, you know, really well. It was related to the construction industry where he had a client that a really big client that just stopped paying. And, you, you know, and, and this can happen, certainly can happen um, very regularly in uh, the building construction industry, but um, but it can happen in any industry where you're exposed, where you're particularly exposed to um, a small number of clients that could create a cash crunch if they stop paying for some reason. And ultimately what happened in the end was um, it, just because he was so exposed, he'd left it so late to get advice. There was nothing that could be done at the time. And he ended up in a discussion with his accountant and um, and a liquidate. The business ended up going down. He ended up in personal bankruptcy because of all of the personal guarantees that he'd signed because he'd come to this too late. His marriage ended up in and you know he came into the office one day and was just talking to me and and you know and he was in tears because his entire his business had imploded and had been this you know this on this massively huge growth trajectory but then it completely imploded um, and you know his employees would just you, you know they'd been left out of pocket and he just felt horrific for them. He had suppliers chasing him. He had death threats, actually. His his marriage ended up in tatters and he was a broken man. And I just thought at that point, this stuff is so important. It's so important to get in there early. And, and we're not suggesting that any of our listeners are likely to end up in a situation that dire, but the reality is it can happen and you just need to be aware of the signals, get in early and get the right advice. I think that's the takeaway and that's something, I think this is a really great example you've given us of someone that was facing a dire situation in their business but getting the right advice at the right time meant that they were able to turn it around, come to a full stop and then start again. And hopefully when they started again, they learnt the lessons of whatever it was that, you, you know, caused them to be in that situation in the first place and, and were able to run the business in a different way. But, you know, it, it's a terrible outcome when issues in the business pull everything down with it, you know. And, and I guess that's what we all, you know, we really all want to avoid because that does, there are no winners in that situation, none at all. Yeah. And I think, also, I think Richard Branson, who I like, once said, the key is if you're failing to fail fast. Yeah. And everybody sort of reads into things what they want to read into them. But for me, you can go through a long, drawn-out problem or you can get on top of your problem, either lose it or win it, solve it or not solve it, but deal with it quickly yeah. And then get on to whatever else it is that you want to achieve or you think you can achieve with your skill set, with your personal business or company moving forward. Yeah. The other takeaway I think that besides getting on top of it early is it's important who you involve. Mm. Because the reality is in Australia is, is that liquidations and administrations can be a very harsh and punitive process. They can also be a very restorative and helpful process and the same could be said with sort of using solicitors and litigation. It can work really well. You can get really good results or it can just be an absolute nightmare for everyone. Sure. And, and the key thing I think, and I, and I see and I work with a lot of solicitors, 
And the first and your gatekeeper is your solicitor. And you've got to go with someone who is interested with a long-term arrangement. They're not just interested in a big fee or one big job. Yeah, that's so true. Big situation. Yeah. And they care about you and the business for the long term. Yeah. They care about and, and pick up on what your gut says about that because then they will inevitably work with insolvency people who are like-minded. Because insolvency, ultimately, we have a lot of relationships with a lot of different people and there's all sorts of different types of administrators and liquidators out there, just like there's all sorts of different types of solicitors out there. So Mm. when you choose your solicitor you speak to, oftentimes your solicitor will generally match up with the sort of insolvency practitioner that you're going with and and you might not need to be liquidated, you might need to be liquidated, you might need to go into administration, you might not, but all those processes can end up with you running a much more successful business on the other side, depending on how you go about it and the people you had involved. So don't stick your head in the sand attack it head on. I think that's what we're saying. Yeah. So get in there early and get in there with the right person that is in there for you and your business, as opposed to just the the first person that you see or or in the paper. Someone that your gut tells you this person is the right person. Love it. Well, that's been a really good discussion today, Josh. Like very heavy topics, um, but I am just like, I just think this is such an important message for business owners to hear because, you know, business can be hard, times can change. It's super important to be aware that in periods when you think you're most protected, you might actually be your most vulnerable. So say, for example, in those examples we talked about of fast growth, just to keep your your finger on the pulse, but absolutely to get help early rather than late, not put your head in the sand. Josh, how is it that our listeners can find you if they want to um, talk to one of the good guys of liquidations and administrations? And of course, we have many accountants who listen in to our show as well. So how can they contact you if they'd like to? Feel free to call my either my mobile on 0402 or the work phone is 84883126. That's a Sydney number. We've got an office here at 175 Lower Gibbs Street in Roseville. And my email address is jtaylor at taylorinsolvency.com.au. And our, obviously our website, taylorinsolvency.com.au. Cool. And we'll link straight through to Taylor Insolvency website on our on our website and in our show notes as well. Just wanted to say a huge thank you, Josh, for coming on to the show today. It's been really good to have you. No worries. Thanks for having me, Joanna. Well, that's it for our episode today with Josh Taylor of Taylor Insolvency, where we talked all about what to do when things go bad in business and how to identify it from the beginning. Of course, if you'd like more information about this topic, then head over to our website at talkinglaw.com.au or your show notes where you'll be able to download a transcript of this podcast episode if you'd like to listen to it all in more detail. And of course, there you'll be able to find details of how to contact Josh Taylor at Taylor Insolvency. And there you'll also be able to find details of how to contact our legal eagles at Aspect Legal. We've got a number of great services to assist businesses to help ward off issues from occurring in the first place and to help make your business structure strong. Now, one other thing that I'd like to mention is that Josh and I have a podcast coming up on the Deal Room podcast where we talk about how to buy distressed 
businesses. Um, so that might be of interest to you. And if you like the sounds of that, then once again, check out our show notes. And when that episode goes live, we'll link through to that from this episode in Talking Law, or just go to your favorite podcast player and search for The Deal Room Podcast. There you'll be able to look for the episode when Josh and I go live in talking about how to buy distressed businesses. Well, that's it. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please pop over to your favorite podcast player and leave us a review. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and don't forget to tune in next week. Thanks again for listening in. You've been listening to Joanna Oki and Talking Law, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Are you looking for a top quality legal team to assist you in your organisation? Aspect Legal is an innovative commercial legal practice that specialises in providing fast and professional services for their clients. If you'd like to chat about how we might be able to assist you, simply head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au to book in a time for a free discussion with one of our lawyers. Thanks for listening to Talking Law. Tune in next time for more smart legal tips and tricks to keep you clear of those legal landmines. If you want to get a download of today's show notes, head over to talkinglaw.com.au. Information in this podcast is general in nature, not legal advice. If you want advice for your business, visit talkinglaw.com.au.